Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he is as passionate about the Grateful Dead as he is about his real housewives. Welcome, Andy Cohen. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Emmy and Peabody Award winner Andy Cohen. Andy is the host and executive producer of Watch What Happens Live on Bravo. He is the executive producer of the Real Housewives franchise and hosts their reunion specials as well. He tours nationally with Anderson Cooper in AC Squared. He hosts Then and Now with Andy Cohen, also on Bravo. He curates and appears on Radio Andy for Sirius XM. He has written three New York Times bestselling books. I've read all of them. Thank you. Most Talkative, The Andy Cohen Diaries, and Superficial. And he is the host of the new and improved game show, Love Connection. Cannot wait to see that. He was raised in St. Louis. He resides in New York. Welcome, Andy Cohen, to the podcast. So today is a little different. I am having the pleasure of interviewing Andy Cohen actually at the Watch What Happens Live offices. On location. We are on location. I have known you a really long time. I know. I I knew you when I was a little pisher and I was friends with John Hickey and I was working at CBS News. Exactly. And I feel like my first memories of you are on the beach in... East Hampton, uh-huh. I think. But when I just read your resume, I realized that I have been like a really passionate cheerleader of yours from the sidelines. Thank you. It's just an incredible thing to read that resume and know that that just doesn't happen overnight. It's weird that it happened, I have to tell you. It is It is wild. Can I tell you why yeah. it's not so weird? Why? I remember a million years ago, and, and to evoke someone who we loved so much at the beginning of this interview may create a solemn feeling. Right. But I remember you and John, and maybe Kristen Johnston, yep. went to Natasha's home Natasha in France. Natasha Richardson. Yep. And I remember Hickey coming home, and he's like, I don't know. I mean, once Andy was there, no one even noticed me. Like, he was literally like, oh I'm God. really glad I brought Andy going. I remember him saying that. Well, he was partially glad, and he was partially like, what I like, used to be the, wah, the, wah, yeah, right, the right, charming right. gay friend. Which also brings up the quote that Hickey shares on my podcast interview, which 
was when Natasha said the rise and rise of Andy Cohen. Yes, she did. Anyway, so much of what I... That's so funny, though, about (laughs) Natasha saying that because she died and a week after she died is when I was offered Watch What Happens Live, the talk show. So there are angels. so basically everything you read on my bio, she, the book hadn't come out. I hadn't had one book out yet. Watch What Happens Live hadn't come out. Um, you know, there was, I was doing reunion shows basically when she died. So it is wild. And, and everybody in her life after she died experienced great success, which is also interesting if you think about it. That's kind of extraordinary. So much of what always struck me about you, even when you weren't doing any of this stuff, your confidence was something that was almost like a tangible quality. And it was incredibly attractive, and it was disappointing to me that you were gay because you <laughs> felt like the Jewish boy that, like, your name was Cohen. I, it right, didn't even matter right. if you were or not. Yet you have the hottest husband on the planet. I do. So, it worked yeah. out for me. Yeah, it sure did. Who is also now a Midwestern Jew, ironically. Wow. Dominic Famusa converted, and we're glad well, as a yeah. tribe. <laughs> I'm happy to have him. My yeah, God. I know. I yeah. know. So... I want to talk about like growing up. Your parents have become really like huge characters in your story. Yeah, they're big characters in all three of my books, uh, and they they appear occasionally on Watch What Happens Live. My mom's coming up with her bridge group soon, and they're just great. They're very active in my life. We have a speaking gig in Chicago Thursday, and it's weird because we've never done anything together. But this Jewish organization in Chicago offered us. Uh, the opportunity to do something together. And I said, Mom, I'll split my fee with you. So she's going to make more on this day than... And all the bake sales that she's done for Hadassah in her entire life. I think she's actually kind of excited about making this money. You have a sister named Emily? I do. She's older. She's older. She's three years older than me. She still lives in St. Louis. She's got two kids. She worked for a while for our family company, and now she's a stay-at-home mom. Is she as excited about this as your parents are? Yeah, and my parents are kind of amused more than anything and I just think they think the whole thing is just weird and stupid and funny. And and they're having a good time. And they're having a good time, yeah. So were you, like, out of the gate? Did you come out of the womb with this sense of self? Was it, in some parts, curated by your parents? And you're, Like, tell me, where, tell me about you. I was always a very just confident, happy kid. And yeah. I, I, I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis, and I just felt like... Everything was pretty happy and pretty good. And in the back of my mind, at some point I realized I was gay and that that was not going to be a great thing for me. Did you know any gay people? Were there people I didn't people really. No, I was freaked out about that. That was the one kind of thing in my life that was not perfect and was not happy and was scary and upsetting and all that stuff. But I got to tell you something. It was like growing up in Pleasantville and we had this family business, which was the food manufacturing and distribution company. We were very happily middle class or upper middle class. And um, then when we sold the company, it did well for our family and that happened right before 9-11 but like my whole family worked at this company and we would all and my cousins and I would work there every summer so I always grew up you know I worked every summer of my life so is your strong work ethic was that something that was born early on that's a good question I mean frankly when I would work at the family company I was the guy who was like we can take 
you know, a half hour for a break. We own this company. Like, who cares? Like, I was that guy, even though everyone who worked there loved me and I was nice to everybody and I wasn't an asshole. So there was no lead by example. No, I was not like an Eric Trump. Really? I was an Eric Trump and that I was like, screw this. I'm the boss's son. But I wasn't an Eric Trump. I mean, I don't know how people at the Trump organization feel about Eric Trump, but I'm putting my own shit into this. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but when I started getting internships at TV channels and stuff. That was when, and I was doing it for free because in those days, interns worked for free. I was like, you need me here six hours, I'll be here 12 hours. Right, because you loved it. Because I loved it. And you and felt I think like- everything that I've ever done professionally, I think the reason I've gotten to where I am is because I've loved everything that I've been doing. And I, you know, so, and I never, I remember I was working at CBS News and I was offered a job as a producer of the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Fabulous. Um, yeah. But, and they were going to pay me like, I don't know if it was triple what I was making, but it was certainly double plus what I was making. And I didn't do it because so I couldn't see So what was it about myself. that show that didn't, you it were was, doing CBS I was at, at CBS News at the morning show. Right. And I was like, I'm working for something quality and you want me to work for something. And I mean, insert housewives joke here but again i love the housewives and that's a show i'm actually proud of it and i love the whole thing to me i still feel i feel more proud of the housewives than i did sally jesse Raphael. but you know maybe today everything comes out in the wash maybe sally jesse Raphael could be a housewife maybe she could could come full circle do people pitch you housewife concepts all the time they do. I mean, people are always kind of DMing me like, I, you know, do like a Housewives Hasidic of... Housewives. Yeah, or do a Housewives of Scottsdale. Yeah. Do, these are me and my friends, or I should be an Atlanta Housewife right. or whatever. Yeah. You're like, thank you. Yeah. That is a great idea. Yeah, right. I'm going to think about that. Right. So there's so much written about you. You have done many interviews and I you've know. written three books. Yeah. So it's hard to think about things that haven't been shared before. I know. It's embarrassing. So what's... A question because you are so fantastic and really someone that I've admired and watched and in many ways has influenced my broadcasting style. Nice. Um, is there any question that you would be uncomfortable to ask someone or be uncomfortable to be asked? I think if there was something that I knew that was very painful for you in your life, and that it would destroy you for me to ask. I would not ask that. Is there um, a question that someone has asked you that felt like that to you? Early on in Watch What Happens Live, SNL did a parody of me. And it was Taryn Kellum. And he was playing me super, super femme and gay. And like, not to say I'm, you know, John Wayne. But the thing that he went on to say was, he was like, I'm Andy Cohen and I gave myself my own talk show. And that was a thing that used to come up early when Watch What Happens Live started because I was head of programming at Bravo. So I think it looked to everyone like I gave myself my own talk show. The truth is that Natasha passed away and I had been doing Watch What Happens Live out of a broom closet in New Jersey at CNBC basically as a web show. And this guy came to Bravo and said, I could do it. Michael Davies is the guy who has this production company we're in now. And he said, I have this little studio. I could do it there. And so in truth, Bravo came to me and said, would you want to do this as a test for 12 weeks at midnight? And I said, are you kidding? It's amazing. But you can't give yourself your own talk show. Like if I had gone to Bravo and say, okay, I want to move this to on air, they would have 
probably been offended and irritated with me and said, wow, this guy is too big for his britches and this is not why we hired him and all this stuff. And so that really, that is the thing that used to cut me. And also had the ratings for those first 12 weeks been bad. Trust me, I was looking at the ratings first thing in the morning because I was like, do I have a show next week or do I not? And if they had been bad, I would have been canceled. I, I, I could never be in charge of canceling other shows and not look at my own show and say, so that was something. So when you asked me about a question that that used to bug me or something, if people would even joke to me about that, I would get all, I would be all like, look, I want to explain to you why I didn't do that. But I think that's kind of the only thing that's ever really bugged me. I think people have asked me about my penis size. They've asked me about horrible things I've said. I mean, I'm pretty, because I feel like I should, if I can dish it, I should be able to take it, like a real housewife. Actually, they're not all successful at dishing it and taking it. No, well, that's it. true. And, yes. and that You're so right. makes sense. Not yes. everyone has that constitution. Right. So, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours, that yeah. so much of the most successful people's story, if you look at it, is there was something really lucky involved. Like Steve Jobs happened to go to the one high school that had the computer, that yeah. had the thing. Yeah. So it feels like in terms of someone who is like a passionate consumer and lover of popular culture, yeah. you did your time. You know, when you write a book about yourself, which is so, which is the most egotistical thing you could ever do, mm -hmm. but you have to look at your life in, in a thematic way or something. And so I would say one thing I learned from writing that first book was that I applied after this channel trio that I worked for. I remember that. Yeah. Because um, I was watching and cheering. Right. Thank you. That <laughs> channel went under. It was not successful. And I got offered the job as head of production at Bravo. But concurrently, Logo, the gay channel by Viacom, was starting. And I was like, I really felt that my destiny was to be in charge of programming at this gay channel. And so I went there and I interviewed and I didn't get the job. And I already had the offer at Bravo, but for some reason I didn't want to take it. And I was so bummed out that I didn't get this job. I could not believe it. I can't and the truth of the it. matter is that if Who I got had gotten that job. Exactly. Yeah. And if I had gotten that job, none of this would have life, happened right? for me. All of it. Right. But the but the other thing is, in terms of my destiny here at Bravo and the Housewives. That was purely not only because of me, but it was lightning in a bottle with the team of people that I was with. And I always get credit for the Real Housewives. But the truth of the matter is, it Lauren Zelaznik, Lauren Zelaznik, and, and, and Amy yeah. and Tricasso Davis, I and it was yeah. Sherry Levine. It was it was developed by Amy, who passed it to Sherry and I, who produced it. And Lauren was like, "We should have them holding." Apple uh, oranges because the re desperate housewives hold apple. I mean, it was it was a real it was a real team thing right. that, that developed that a shared brainchild. It really was. People. So I mean, so that was the lightning in the bottle at Bravo for me was that group of people and Lauren to believe in me to say you should be in front of the camera. So how did you meet Barry Diller, who features so prominently in your life? in terms of on the pages of your book. Right. Um, I met him through my friend Bruce Bozzi, who you know. Love and Bruce, Bruce knew him. How do you know Bruce Bozzi? Through his ex-boyfriend. Okay. At the time. And that's how we met in like 94. Is that when you met John Benjamin Hickey? I met Hickey in the early 90s, around that time, even earlier maybe. Just being in New York City and being yeah. young and running around? Yeah, we slept together. 
he was my college boyfriend. Oh my god! Wow, we've both slept with. Yeah, John and I funny? I did not go all the way. Like we live in New York City, and you just feel like you're in the minority. Like Ugh, I wish I were gay. Right. Like it just feels so ordinary and sad. Right? <laughs> right. It's like I wish I had a job. That's. Fun. It's quite turned around. The rest so of the world, funny. where you travel all the time with your other yeah. friend Anderson Cooper. Yeah, had, yeah. Did you meet Anderson also? Like he and early I were set on? up on a blind date. And we never went on the date. We spoke on the phone, but and we never was he went Anderson there. Cooper as we know him. He yet? was Anderson Cooper who worked for Channel One. Uh, oh no, he was working at ABC News doing something at the time. Yeah, and I was at CBS, but no, he was not famous. So you've never been a star fucker. Well, um, I've always been excited about celebrity, and I think that I was always excited by the idea of celebrity in all of its forms. I think that there have been moments in my life when I have been a star fucker. But, you know, I think, but some people have said to me, how did you get to be friends with all these celebrities? Well, John you know, the, Hickey. Well, John Hickey introduced me to a shitload yes, of them. That's Sarah true. Jessica yeah, group, but that's yes. true. But, you know, things develop. And I. the truth is also, I've been in the television industry in New York City for 26 years. You meet a lot of people in the industry in that way. You knew Dan Rather. Exactly. And, and, and I still do. Smith, he has right. a show on my radio channel, right. Dan does. But the funny thing is that, you know, my friends who are not celebrities are still my good friends. My core group of friends from college and high school are still my very core group of friends. I spoke to the first person I came out with ever, Amanda, who I met in college this morning on the phone, we talked, you know, when I walk my dog, I talk to her. I talked to my friend Lynn, who I was an intern for at CBS News today. Like, these are my people. You but know? that's what's so great about your book. In fact, sometimes you're reading and you're going like, wait, Amanda. I know. I don't. I wrote two of my books are diaries. And I was going to write a glossary of who people were. And then I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter if you don't know who Amanda is. She's my friend. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And rocking all those. Right. Things. Yeah. Yeah. So writing, the discipline that it takes to write. Mm -hmm. I think I've heard you say on the first book that I know Liza Persky also and love her so much. And it sounds like originally when you were writing a diary, you would sort of call her at night and tell her about your month, day. For the first month or two, I called her and she, I dictated stuff to her. And then she sent it to me. And then I, I filled in the blanks and rewrote. And what I realized from that, it was a good thing. But I was like, I need to write this. I need to just... So every night I would write. I mean, writing a diary and publishing it is really easy, actually, if you have a life where you're doing a lot and you have a lot of stories to tell. Because the discipline is you just know that you write what was interesting that day and you write at the end of the night or in the next morning or whatever. The first book was like a memoir and I was writing on deadline and I was doing Watch What Happens Live five days a week and I was in charge of development at Bravo. And I don't know how I did it, but I had like three months to do it and I went to Sag Harbor every weekend and I sat and I wrote and I talked to my editor every morning. And so that was, I work really well on a deadline. Actually, yeah. I know, you know, I'm like, I am pushed against the wall and I do it. And you have a lot of deadlines. I have a lot of deadlines. You have a live talk show. Yeah. Can we just talk about this for one second? I don't yeah. think people understand. First of all, I don't know that we have any other gay late night. Yeah, I'm the out. only one. Yeah, I'm the only one. I mean, unless yeah. we find out something about... Who would it be? I don't think any of the other boys... Yeah. All of them, really. Could be gay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's hoping. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, if we look at the world now, there's such fluidity. It's kind yeah. of... You know, like, if they'd all grown up now, they'd all be everything. But 
it's just an extraordinary thing. And yeah. I feel like you're, you know, I saw the other day, you're, you're figuring out how to use who you are, not just to make the millions of people who listen to you. I'll watch you on Facebook Live going to work yeah. with Waka in the yeah. cab. And I'm like, oh, what's happening? Like, I have so, so much shit to I know, do. I know. You have rid- kids. I have kids. Well, but by the way, and- that's a big thing. People always say to me, how can you do everything you do? And I say, you know what? I don't have kids. Maybe that's true. Think about that. Think about how much time, and even while they're at school and you're not worrying about them or thinking of them or planning or whatever, think about what that would open up in your world if you didn't have kids. And I really feel like that is a huge thing for me Mm. that I don't have kids. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe you should have Dom take the kid. Like I'm sort of like watching all this stuff and I'm like, weird. Andy's in the cab. I know. And I couldn't be happier to like eat my Explo- honey right. bunches of oats. Well, that's because like, my dog looks so cute and I keep cutting to my dog. You're also, I mean, you look really good on oh, camera. Great. Did oh, you know that? You. Did you know that you would be no, like sometimes so perfectly I, seated? I, you know what the problem is? I have a monitor that's right under my camera and looking at your face, mm. Every night you start to be like, oh, I'm so carb faced or I'm fat right now. And you just, it just makes you kind of crazy. I looked through your book. You're a legit writer. Like it's just, it's great prose. And it's, and you're like Truman Capote Mm. of 2017. Hopefully I'm nicer than Truman Capote. Was he not supposed to be nice? Yeah, yeah. He was a real bitchy queen. Well, then I take it back. No, that's all right. But he was, look at what a great writer writer he was. No, I'll take it. He was writing yes. about it, and at the party, he was right. the observer. Yeah, no, and that's in it that's and true, and that's, that's that a is rare a thing. It's hard to do, also. And I had major trauma before both of the diaries came out about, oh man, what? Because you know that a lot of things are going to get picked up, and oh, here's a story about Taylor Swift at the Met Ball, and I try to be the butt of all my jokes in my books, but I know shit's going to get picked up, and I have to be dishy or else. The readers, you know, they expect me but to be dishy in some way. is that the power of ratings and media that there's probably a rare celebrity that still wouldn't come on oh. to watch what happens Oh, there's live. so many. Oh, no, 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 They no. won't? Oh, there's so many who because won't. Because they're scared that you won't I think won't they're scared that I'm right? going to ask questions of them. There's a publicist that I wrote about in the book who's now like, wow, that was really shady of you to write that. Mm. I, You know, we're done. I mean... There's definitely people, as many great people as we're getting on the show, there are a lot of people who think that my kind of brand is not a fit. There are people who don't like the housewives. There are people who think I'm going to be really shady, you know, and people who are scared to go on Howard Stern might be scared to go on my show because I I kind of go there with them and... So. But you go there about yourself. You're so honest yeah, about no, I feel like I have pot. To. You're so honest right. about... Sex, Sex, your sexuality and drugs. Are you ever scared you're going to get arrested? Like, do you ever get scared? I don't. No, I don't. I mean, I feel like if I was ever arrested, I'm not, I don't do Like they're watching you. Like, are they watching you? Yeah, I'm not, like, I just feel like marijuana, even though Jeff Sessions is very anti-pop, marijuana has been so not only decriminalized in a weird way, but kind of the, the culture around it. Like, if I was arrested for a big pot, Thing I just feel like no one would really be that surprised, right? And I am an advocate. Wait, no one would be surprised if you were arrested. If I was arrested for pot, let's say I was found and I had like a huge bag of pot on me. Yes, and I was arrested for possession of marijuana. 
I don't know. I think I would probably use it as a platform to talk more about like that. I think this is stupid and I smoke responsibly. Are you high right now? No, I never get high before going on television or radio or this. I just wouldn't do it. It's the handling of of the book tours. Yeah, yeah. it's really – I I found the book tours to be both super gratifying and emotionally – um, like filling me up in such a way emotionally, like, oh my God, I can't believe like 500 people waited in line. It's like so nice and it just fills me with love and joy. But the idea of posing for those 500 photos is soul crushing and also emotionally exhausting. But then you get, you know, people who are like, I drove here from Kentucky and you're like, oh my God, I want right. to hug okay, you. One That's more. so nice. But like, I did use pot candy as a crutch to get through those long photo sessions or whatever it is. Just like, it's like, look, sorry, but I did. But so that's why I don't think anyone would be surprised if I was arrested. They wouldn't be surprised, but I I just don't want that to happen. I don't either. I really don't. But like, if it did, then it did. I would rather be arrested for that. You know, like, here's, you know... I'm trying to think of something horrible that I could be arrested for that I would be embarrassed by, like something really horrible and vile and a a crime. Like to me, pot is not a crime. Like if that's the crime I'm going to get arrested for, then okay. Um, I agree, but I also think it's kind of amazing. You work for a network that seems to be completely – like you're their child it's and they incredible. love you and they will let you do what you need I to do. I have a joke and there's a runner through Superficial where I keep trying to decide what my downfall is going to be yeah. in my career. Yeah. Like, am I going to say something really racist or am I going to get, right. what scandal am I going to be involved right. in? Like, What's we're your talking Elliot about, Spitzer? Right. And so I, I have a running dialogue with the head of Bravo, Francis Barrick, and I'm like, She's like, she thinks I'm going to get caught saying something so bad, like when a mic isn't on, like I could be joking, but just that could just be construed, wildly misconstrued. And then other people at Bravo are like, no, it's going to be something with drugs. Like, but Bravo has never, as much as I talk about pot on the show or this or that, they've never censored me they've never given me a note on watch what happens live like you can't say that i mean and that's why it's so authentic right exactly it's People so like authentic the, that's authenticity of i was the thinking the only person i know personally who is as busy as you are is Kristen chenoweth like literally 72 busy. albums and yeah. 14 movies and right. 70 benefits and right. and a book and i mean i have my friends who whine about being an ep on one half hour sitcom right, right? like you have 12. I mean, literally, I Actually, don't even understand. Hickey was, Hickey was belly aching about how he had to do a talk show on a two-show day. <laughs> and he was kidding? like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the show. I just can't do it. I go, do you know what I do in a day? Like, are you kidding me right now? I don't really understand how anyway, you do it. And, and that's why amazing. I think it was so great to write it in diary form because I was like, I do so much that it just lends itself to a lot of fun stories and, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I hope that I, – I wonder if you were still writing a diary, 
which you're not. You've taken a break, right? Like, taking I'm sure a break. I found it emotionally exhausting. Of course. Reporting on the details of my life for three years right. because it amounted to three years between the two books, and I literally was emotionally and existentially exhausted. And I was getting into a relationship with someone, and I'm like, okay, I'm the guy that shares everything. I'm not writing a book about my Do you think he was upset when he read the book? Or did he know that you were still dating other people at no, the time he was, that you guys met? No, he was met? totally cool. He, I sent it to him. He was totally cool. Yeah. So now you have love in your life. Yeah. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. It's great. And, and you know, when I had a second kid, I was really scared that how would my one heart that had been completely given over to Georgia now have room for Caleb, right? Uh-huh. And I realized my heart just got bigger. Uh-huh. And That's I so feel nice. like when I think about how crazy, loud, busy, engaged your life is, yeah. and all the people who love you and you love and all the things that are expected of you to add an, an actual person yeah, right. that demands you so yeah. it's you're great. able to do it. Oh, yeah. And you fit it in. I have bandwidth for love, Alana. Um, all right, so... I you want me to wanted, read something? I from wanted the book? you to read something. Okay, great. Um, because I think it really describes what your life is like okay. in terms of the extraordinary opportunities and the extraordinary exhaustion. Okay. So, so this it is... ends with the Ugh. famous killer hug. Oh, great. Okay, but good. You can, you can, yeah. I know you don't have it all committed to memory. Okay. If you want to skip through okay. as you go, you no, can. No, I'll do it. Okay. Sunday, November 23rd, 2014, Miami. The alarm at 8.45 for my... So now I just want to do a postscript already. I'm on my book tour. This is so meta. I wrote about my book tour for my second book in my third book. Got it. Um, And going on a book tour lends itself to a lot of humor and stories. The alarm at 8.45 for my Miami Book Fair International event was just rude. I was hoarse and more sick of myself than I have ever been in my entire life. But there was a theater full of people waiting for me to blather on about myself and sign my books. And daddy needs to make a living. So he got out of bed and bucked it up like a big boy. The people were nice. A boy asked me to marry him. A lady asked for a hug. I got a ton of presents for Waka. And I can't remember what else happened, except that I signed about 300 books for customers and another 200 for stock after the speech. And it went by like a breeze. I didn't even mind that no one upon no one knows how to use their cameras and that people wait in line for over an hour but don't care to have their camera ready when they get to the front of the line. And I was with Hickey at the pool by, by noon where I felt like a king. The vibe was magical, chill out jams, but not too many people. We got a bottle of rosé and John Jay from the Cardinals came and joined us for an hour before he left for Europe for Manny Machado's wedding. Ah, the baseball life. Left for the Palm at 3.30 where I had another book signing and I had completely hit a wall. All the talking and smiling for pictures and being patient and hospitable to perfectly nice people completely slammed down on my last gay nerve. Now I wanted to not only rip the skin off myself, but then burn it and then throw the remains of myself back into the fire. And initially the crowd was so lovely and warm and dewy. My people, there were five yentas in the front row with excellent face work, a bunch of husbands, Marquita, who I used to work for when I interned at KMOV when I was 17 and a whole lot of personality, which made the Q and a a total blast. A woman in a white dress kept asking two-part questions and talking over people who had not had the chance to ask anything, which was triggering me. 
The rule at these Palm events is to only take pictures with groups because it's a happy hour type environment. The lady in the white dress stopped me as I was going back to take pictures with everybody to ask if I could take a selfie with her so she didn't have to wait in line. I said, it's against the rules, but yep, let's do it. She was the one squeaky wheel in the room, so it seemed like a good way to appease her. People brought so many gifts for Waka, it was unbelievable. A lot of chewy dreidels and a cute Chewbacca chew. Star Wars dog toys? How rich is George Lucas? I was close to Don and deeply in love with everyone until the white dress lady appeared again and announced that on top of pictures with her friends, she wanted another one alone with me. I told her we would not be doing that because it was against the rules, and she and I had already taken a selfie. She wanted another, she declared. When her friend stepped away, she said, one more, I want another. At which point, all the sleep I haven't gotten in the past week, and all the cameras in my face, and the endless thirst for selfies, all came to a head in my brain, and I basically lost it. I grabbed her. And I said, I am going to give you a big hug instead. And that is what you're going to get. And I proceeded to grab her and I squeezed her so hard that I thought the head might pop off her body. I mean, I was violently squeezing her. She emerged from the strangle hug, a little stunned, a little out of breath, and a lot confused about what had just happened. Upon regaining my composure, I realized that I had just tried to kill a woman with a hug. I quickly tried to make up for it by carrying on about how much I loved her gorgeous dress. I was manic. I was as hyper as she was. She took the compliment, and I moved on. I continued with the photos and left to go to the guilt event. And then I go on to do many more interviews and more photos. And at the end of the night, I realize... Oh my God, you are a fucking lunatic. You tried to kill this woman to death with a hug. So fast forward to my book tour for that book that I just read out of. The woman in white showed up at the Palm event that I did for that book. And I was like, oh my God. And she hadn't read the book. But some people have no self-awareness and she could read that and not even realize that it was her. Anyway, well, as, as in, you're actually a great actor. I remember Thanks. you on Sex and the City. Um, I feel like, you know, Andy Warhol is famous for his diaries and the whole sort of 15 minutes of fame. And it must feel good to know that because there was real work, effort, passion, and that you really care about people, it's not just 15 minutes. Well, let's hope not. I mean, it's I been could more be than on 14.30 right now. No, it's true. I will tell you this. I never take it for granted. And I'm like, I keep thinking like, okay, well, so if Watch What Happens Live gets canceled and if the Housewives get canceled, like at least I'll have my radio. And that's what I'll do for a living. And I'll have my radio and I'll write books and I'll be perfectly great. Like I definitely in my mind plan for the future. Um, and that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to be conscious of everything going away so what got you through the times where it wasn't going like this well it always was going like this in my mind i think that's why if it all went away it would be okay too 
I've always been a really happy person. You asked me about my childhood earlier. So when I got an internship at CBS News and then I was a desk assistant, I felt like I had made it then. I had a check coming from CBS and it said CBS on it. So like I never felt like I was doing the wrong thing or things. That's why I'm glad that I wasn't an actor because I would have been so – the only time I've ever felt insecure in my life was when – the talk show started and those first three years. And I remember Jimmy Fallon got his talk show at at the same time I did. It was eight years ago. He got his first one. And I remember talking to him once a few years into it. And I go, are you insecure? Like, do you feel like I do? Because it was such an unusual feeling for me to be like. To be vulnerable in that way. To be way. vulnerable in that way and care about what people said about me. Or, oh, he's not funny or he's not this or you know, whatever it was. And, um, so, but the, but what I will go back on, I never expected any of this to happen. I could have hoped for it in my wildest dreams, which is why if I was only producing TV, then that would, what if I was just producing documentaries and I was a professor at Columbia, that would be cool. And then maybe I would like adopt a kid. I mean, anything can happen. So I, I hope I'll be fine doing it all. And do you feel like politics are in your future? No. Do you feel like you want to use your platform more to talk publicly about the things you care about? I think I try to, when it's appropriate, talk about anything that I think is, you know, I think during the election, what everyone found out is no one cares what celebrities think about politics. And that's totally fine. And I and I get it. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, I don't really care what they think no, either. No, now we found out people want celebrities to be their politicians. Yeah, well, right, in exactly. Some strange yeah, way. no, it's true. And so, yeah, the answer is on gay issues, I will always speak out and you know, people people sometimes say to me, "Stop tweeting about Trump." You know, this is not why we come to you, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Unfollow me, babe. This is my freaking social media. I'll tweet about whatever I want. It's America. Isn't this a great place? And you don't have to agree. And it's all great. But, you know, look, I, I definitely, it's so easy to joke about Trump. And do I joke more about Trump than I did about Obama? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I don't want to turn everybody off. I'm not going to turn into a lunatic. All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much for thank being you. here today. It was fantastic. Thanks. It was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on Little You're Known Facts. You're great at what you do. I love Little oh. Known Facts. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are Little Known Facts that you know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. 
Promedia Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.